everyone, and welcome to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today I'm going to be talking to Dr. Jeff Myers. He is the president of Summit Ministries, a highly respected worldview training program whose tens of thousands of graduates are making a huge difference in politics, law, academia, medicine, science, and business. Over the last two decades, he's become one of America's most respected authorities on youth leadership development. Just to give you a bit of background on him, from 1989 to 1995, Dr. Myers headed up Summit curriculum team as it produced Understanding the Times and the Lightbearers course for Christian schools. In 1997, he completed his dissertation for the Doctor of Philosophy degree at the University of Denver and accepted a faculty appointment at Bryan College in Dayton, Tennessee, where he has taught undergrad and MBA courses in leadership and comms for 14 years years. While at Bryan, he founded and directed an executive branch of Summit Youth's adult programs. Focus on the family leader James Dobson referred to him as a, quote, very gifted and inspirational young leader, and evangelist Josh McDowell called him a man who was 100% sold out to preparing the next generation in the culture. He's joining us to talk about what Christian citizenship looks like in an age of chaos. This is my conversation with Dr. Jeff Myers. Well, Dr. Myers, uh, to start off, uh, you wrote a column over at the stream on November 7, which is, is a very short amount of time ago, but somehow seems like a very long time ago, uh, kind of detailing what you think the Christian approach uh, to investigating what's taken place with the election, uh, etc., is. And, and, and you focus mainly not on the practicality, practicality of what happened, um, the specific allegations being made, which changes every 24 hours, it seems, but more on what the idea of Christian citizenship is, um, what the responsibility of Christians to the electoral process is. Could you uh, walk us through your, your thinking on the article and sort of explain some of the key concepts that you covered? Yeah. Well, you know, Jonathan, I wrote that article right after the election, and man, that was almost a month ago. It seems like about a year ago. <laughs> it's. It, I, I wrote the article because I was, I was concerned how many Christians I was seeing post things like, I voted, now God is in control. In other words, it's a different narrative. It wasn't probably but four years ago when people were saying Christians don't vote. You know, half the Christian half Christians aren't even registered to vote. So everybody went out to get registered to vote, and churches had a very successful campaign in that respect. But people didn't seem to understand that the vote does not get you across the finish line as a citizen, it gets you to the starting line. And so I was seeing things like, well, I voted. I guess, you know, God is in control now. And that simply isn't true, that there's an ongoing vigilance that is necessary to being a citizen. And so I thought, you know, that statement, God's in control, that's bad citizenship. But it's also actually bad theology because the Bible doesn't describe God in that way. He never describes himself as in control in the way that we think of the idea of control, which is an accounting term to make sure that not a penny is missing, right? God described himself as being wholly sovereign. The only time control is really used in scripture is in reference to self-control. And uh, anyway, we can go off in a number of different directions there, but that's why I wrote the article. Right. Just for people listening, though, actually, because uh, I think there's an important distinction to be made there, because I hear you say God never said he's in control. And, you know, immediately my church upbringing flares up in my mind. I'm thinking, of course he is. But then you say sovereignty. Maybe make that distinction for people, the difference between control and sovereignty. Now, control is an accounting term. 
that means that you do, you do double entries to make sure that nothing is missing, that everything is completely accounted for and nothing has any variables to it. Um, God created a world in which he, he did not control us. We are not robots. Um, that God is sovereign, which means that he is in charge. He's created a, a dynamic world in which we bear his image and are to bring what bring to the world what God would bring if he were sitting in our place because he is. That's, that's kind of the theology behind it. In other words, we are to, God wants us to see what he sees, to listen to what he pays attention to, and to be his hands and feet in this world. Part of it is just that term control. Mm. It's just the wrong word. It's not the biblical word. It's not how God describes himself. And, you know, it's in a lot of Christian songs by a lot of people who I really admire, but it's just bad theology, and it leads people to become bad citizens when it comes to things like figuring out, you know, what are we supposed to do in this world? Just do one little thing and then just hands off from there? Or are we actually to be involved? And election justice, I think, was, you know, is an interesting example. I can't, um, you know, it's amazing how many people say, well, the vote is over. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, do you know your election officials? Do you know how votes are processed in your state? Do you know, do you have assurance that there is election integrity? There are a lot of people in a lot of cities in this, this country that have struggled with this issue for decades, and they still cannot be sure that their votes really count or that illegal votes, you know, from dead people or whatever are counting. And it just, it seems crazy. When I was in college, Jonathan, I took a class called called the political corruption. It was not a class. It was a, <laughs> it was a, okay, all about. And, you know, we went through reams of documents and lectures and all kinds of things. It is a fine, we have the technology. It is about time that we put to rest these, what we know is fraud in disenfranchising people in their now, it's it's interesting when, when you make that distinction in that way, I'm reminded of uh, Francis Schaeffer's famous book, uh, A Christian Manifesto, which is, is credited, credited widely by historians and sociologists for bringing tens of thousands of evangelicals into the pro-life movement. And when, when you say um, that people say God is in control and then they can sort of wash their hands of it, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I hear you saying that a lot of people use that phrase as an excuse not to do the sorts of things that they should be doing in the culture, as if almost to insinuate, you know, if babies are being killed at abortion clinics down the street, um, if if corruption is taking place, if there are, are, are laws or, or things proposed on the ballot uh, that would make uh, America a less Christian place or a, a worse place, uh, that by saying this, we somehow uh, free ourselves of, 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 the, of the obligation of citizenship to go and do something about these things. Did, uh, do I, am I characterizing that correctly? And did Francis Schaeffer inform your thinking on any of this? Well, Francis Schaeffer informed my thinking on a lot of things, Jonathan. <laughs> okay. Very grateful for that. But, but yes, I, I, do, I do think Christians tend to, and it's not just Christians, I suppose a lot of Americans, we, we tend to let ourselves off of the hook very easily. Mm. We've actually made a difference if we liked the right page on Facebook, or we think that we've made a difference if we signed a petition against something or other. You know, with the click of our mouse, we think we've been activists. And the truth is, citizenship is hard. Our, our founders in the United States did not imagine that it would ever be easy, uh, but they did imagine that it, that it would require eternal vigilance. 
eternal vigilance is the price of liberty was one of the sayings of our, our founders here in this country. So I, I think that's really, that's, you know, that's super important for people to keep in mind. And do you know your elected officials? Have you ever gone down and met the mayor? Do you know that you know what they stand for? Have you let them know why you believe what you believe? Have you ever written to them or called or anything to do anything at all? Have you ever showed up at a hearing? You know, and 99% of people are going to say, no, nah, nah, I just not, I never got involved in that. I'm not really that into politics. Well, Abraham Lincoln said, this is a government of the people, by the people, for the people. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 13 that you submit yourself to authority. In this country, that means you must be involved or you're being disobedient to God. That's a very powerful way of bringing that point across. And I notice when you bring up, you know, hearings, you bring up the mayor, you bring up your local election officials. I'm reminded of G.K. Chesterton's um, quote that that politicians should be close enough to kick, uh, that that you should know them extremely well. If you're just casting a ballot, say, for your congressman, your senator, the presidential candidate, and you're not involving yourself on the local uh, level, you don't actually know who is in control of all the local mechanisms. And so how would you characterize Christian citizenship on a purely— practical level. So for people who are listening to this and saying, okay, fair point. Uh, I understand that distinction. I understand that, you know, when I brush all these things off, these are just bad excuses and and bad theology leading to bad excuses. What would you say people should practically engage in um, during this time, but also just more generally, because the concept we're discussing here is, is a much broader one applied to a specific situation. Well, you know, one thing you can do, I, this is a little bit weird because I'm, I'm a leader of a Christian ministry, so I have a number of different competing responsibilities, but, you know, I can text members of Congress, you know, it's, I have a little bit, it's a little different of a situation. And also, I have a responsibility to my own organization. So here are two things that, that, that we're trying to do. Number one, I'm encouraging people to just get to know them. You know, I, I haven't gotten to know our governor. I know so many people, dozens and dozens of people at the state level, but I don't know the governor. I've never actually met with him. I've never, you know, I feel, I feel embarrassed about that. So that's my personal thing this year is I want to get to, you know, at least have a phone call or try to, to, to be in meetings where he is participating. Uh, but you, you know, that's a really simple. If, if you, if you just get hold of your elected officials, you voted county commissioners, you voted for city council members, you voted for school board. There are all these different kinds of people. You can get in touch with them and say, hey, I voted for you. Here's what I stand for. I look forward to staying in touch. Or you can get in touch with them and say, I didn't vote for you, but congratulations that you won. Here's here's what I believe. And and these are the things that I, I hope are going to be really important to you. The second thing is just to inform one another at Summit Ministries, you know, we'll be having on December 16th, I'm having all of my employees take the entire day off. We're having a day-long workshop called The Coming Storm. And it's, it's really about the, what we anticipate to be coming attacks on religious liberty. Mm. The entire day will be, what does it mean for America to have a Christian heritage? What is justice? What is liberty? What is law? How, does, how do all these things relate to our statement of convictions that we have as a ministry? So it'll be a day of information and challenge for people because I want them to see, listen, you know, we, the government's not here to give us anything. The government, you know, can't give you anything. The government is here to secure the rights that have already been given to you by God. Mm-hmm. 
I have to ask when when you say that you're you're running an entire day long called the Coming Storm is by any chance any of uh, of of the seminars based on um, Al Mohler's book The Coming Storm? No, I just thought that was a great title. <laughs> That's yeah, I, and the and the precisely same subject. Yeah, and it's a great it's a great book. Yes, it's a great book, and uh, you know, Dr. Mohler, I'm I'm very glad that he wrote that book. You know, sometimes. Sometimes in Christian ministry, we tend to kind of go at a high, fairly abstract level. Mm. Is able to take his columns that deal with specific issues of religious liberty and, you know, the sexual revolution and things like that, and bring it right down to a very practical level. I, I do. I recommend that book. So speaking of of the practical level again, at the end of your column uh, on election justice, you you talk about practical things people can do, and one of the one of the major concerns that's being put forward by people on all sides at the moment is just that if if there's a lot of people who doubt the veracity of the election results, regardless of the truth of the matter, this is just bad for democracy, bad for well. America's not technically a democracy, but bad for the republic, shall we say. And so what are some practical things people can do uh, during this period to sort of reassure themselves, to find the right information, uh, to be reading the things that they, they, they should be? Because, yeah, it's, there's a lot of a lot of confusion going around. It's it's difficult to know these days which sources to trust and, and who to believe. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Well, we need to be discerning. You know, discernment is the power to tell the good from the bad, the genuine from the counterfeit, and to prefer the good and the genuine to the bad and the counterfeit. Um, that definition I got out of uh, an introduction to a, a biography by Samuel jo- about Samuel Johnson. But I think we, we, so we need wisdom and we pray for it. J- James says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God and he will give it to you. So we need to pray, we need to fast, we need to be... Um, you know, have our minds filled with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But then we need to inform ourselves. And I, there are certain organizations I really like and I tend to trust. I tend to like and trust the Heritage Foundation, so heritage.org. Hmm. I have a good website on election integrity. American Enterprise Institute is another one that I trust. Um, my wife and I listen pretty regularly to the Colson Center. Uh, John Stone Street's a good friend of mine, and hmm. they, they provide good information on a daily basis, and we, we really like that and feel like they, they do a good job. Of course, Summit Ministries, the organization that we're a part of here, summit.org. Um, anybody who's listening to this and says, I, I kind of like this, then come to summit.org. Let's be friends. Okay? We, can't afford, we can't afford to not be friends in times like this, so we've got to keep ourselves informed. Now, there are a lot of other aspects to a lot of other angles, but I think those are two good starting places. Mm. Those, those, are, those are helpful practicalities and, and some good places to start in terms of, of, of information discernment. One of the, the, the things I would like to do uh, you know, in, during this conversation is to help, under, uh, help people understand why they should follow your advice and why it's so important for people to get involved. So you've given me the perfect open door there when you mentioned that you're holding an entire day talking about the coming storm. So let's talk about that for a minute. When you say that there is a coming storm, uh, and, and, and both yourself, Al Mohler, as we mentioned, and a number of people have been talking about this for several years. Um, what do you think that coming storm looks like and what, could, what, what should Christians expect in the next several years? The way things trend right now, it does, it does look like Biden-Harris will be the new presidential administration. Now, if that, if that ends up being the case, then, uh, then we are going to have a different climate for religious liberty than we have had in the last four years. 
It'll be a little bit more like it was during the Obama administration, but on steroids. I'm only saying that because of the specific pieces of legislation, specific policy initiatives that have been heartily endorsed by the Biden-Harris ticket. Um, the Equality Act, uh, which, which is inappropriately named, you know, it's one of those spin names where it's, it's not really about equality. It's about lifting up certain agendas at the sake of, of others. But this is an administration that has, has opened itself wide open to initiatives that specifically call for, for example, the deaccreditation of Christian colleges that do not change their stance on man-woman marriage. It's just as an example. Hmm. You know, religious freedom is the first freedom because it's the most enduring freedom. Our founders thought that if religious freedom is a tell, you know, if someone begins to attack religious freedom, then you know the rest of their cards. They're, they're going to attack all freedoms. Right. It is, it's, that, it's that vanguard kind of freedom that we need to really stay focused on. And, and why is it in the Bill of Rights? You know, a lot of people think, oh, the Bill of Rights is out there so that keep, it keeps citizens protected from one another. No, no, no. The Bill of Rights was put in place by the anti-federalists because they wanted to protect people from the government, right? The government has a responsibility to protect people from itself. That was the whole point behind the Bill of Rights. So I think we are, we're getting ready to face that kind of a storm. I'm also the trustee of a Christian university that's quite large, and we are, we are preparing for this as well. We expect the next four years to be pretty rough. So I have to ask you, because you're, you're, you're older than me, so you'll remember a lot more presidential elections than I do. The first election I have conscious memories of is, is, is Bush v. Gore in 2000. Um, has there ever been another uh, example of an, an administration being referred to as the, uh, uh, the Biden-Harris administration? I just I don't remember the, the Bush-Cheney. Uh, I remember the Bush-Cheney ticket, but never the Bush-Cheney administration. I don't remember the Obama-Biden administration or even the Trump-Pence administration. Uh, is this? Am I just picking up on something that isn't there, or is that just sort of a, a strange addendum? Oh, it's kind of it's kind of an interesting point. Yeah, the vice president usually fades into the background. the The one I think of is is Reagan Bush. That Re, it was you know Reagan was the presidential candidate, and but. But all of their posters, you know, everything said Reagan Bush because mm. George Bush was very well. This is George Bush Sr. Mm. So this was, it was very, very well known. But it, maybe, maybe it could be a minor point. I do, I do have a sense that Kamala Harris, because she's much younger and much more energetic than Joe Biden, may end up having a greater influence. And I could be wrong about that. It could be she just gets pushed to the side and that the members of the cabinet um, will will run things, and in, in which case, you know, you have to you have to just look department de- department by department. If if it turns out that some of the some of the calls that this ticket has submitted to, in terms of the LGBTQ community and some of their demands to um, disenfranchise Christians. They, they could do nothing. You know, sometimes people get into office and they don't do anything about all of the stuff they said they were going to do in the campaign. But if they do it, um, then we will have significant challenges as Christians. I do believe Christian educational institutions will be the first line of defense. And then after that, Christian ministries. So we're expecting that ministries like ours 
will have their tax exempt status, for example, questioned. Well, I, I do hope you're you're correct on uh, on Kamala Harris there, because honestly, when she lost in the Democratic primaries, I was tremendously relieved because she was the candidate that made me the most nervous, her and Pete Buttigieg, uh, because of Pete Buttigieg's inversion of the Christian message to attack Christians. But Kamala Harris, you know, when she was DA, sending sending the FBI to raid David Leiden's apartment, um, she's she's gen- Joe Biden has kind of gone with the progressive flow uh, for years. You know, he's always rediscovering folksy anecdotes from his father uh, about various uh, new LGBT agendas. But Kamala Harris is actually passionate about these things, which is is very different and, and far more dangerous. What do you think, uh, what, from what we've seen so far, let's say, um, God willing, and, and we pray this will take place, that Republicans hold the two Georgia seats denying uh, the Democrats both houses. Do you think there's any chance at all that the Democrats will look at the, uh, what is, in essence, a repudiation, that the blue wave uh, you know, that was supposed to come sort of broke and, and washed back weekly? Do you think there's any chance that they will look at that situation and say, maybe the American people are telling us something. Maybe they're not on board with court packing and the Equality Act. Maybe, maybe like, you know, the critical theory, uh, you know, the Marxist stuff that we were really trumpeting, especially during the George Floyd protests and riots was was too much for everybody. Maybe they're telling us we need to shift back to the center because regardless of how you view the outcome on on November 4 and since then, what is obvious, what is immediately obvious is that the American people repudiated a lot of the, the radical fringe elements of the Democrats because they denied the Democrats the ability to implement that agenda. Um, do you believe that there's any chance that they might look at this and say, hey, maybe we should take a step back and that we might actually get a reprieve that, as you just mentioned previously, there's a, some chance that they'll just decide uh, to play it safe, especially because they might not want to risk losing the House in 2022, which they very easily could? Yeah, there's a lot to that. I have yet to see an example of a Democratic administration that took that approach, that said, well, we need to govern from the center because we didn't really win very authoritatively. Uh, You know, people talk about that a lot. There'd be a lot of op-eds encouraging them to do that, but I just haven't seen it. Now, it it might keep them from from, uh, putting forward legislation that would be controversial. But see, the problem, Jonathan, is the executive branch is so huge, with tens of thousands of employees and millions and millions of rules and regulations, that it's, it's a regulatory regime that is the problem. And, and that is true all over the world. I mean, if you went to Pakistan or Malaysia, which are predominantly Muslim countries where Christians are regularly oppressed, the oppression is not police brutality. It's not coercion. It's not secret troops coming to your house in the middle of the night. It's bureaucratic. So for instance, you're, you're in Pakistan and there's food aid that comes in from Saudi Arabia. You line up to get the food aid because you have, your family has COVID or whatever, and you have to show your identity card. Your identity card from your moment of birth says you're either a Christian, Muslim, or whatever. And if it says Christian on it, you, you get out of line. You, you don't get food aid, right? That actually happened in a city where some of my students are from. That's how I know that took place. And, you know, in Malaysia, I remember somebody saying, well, I, I'm a, I became a Christian, but trying to get my identity card changed from Muslim to Christian is a bureaucratic nightmare. It takes years. And the amount of persecution that you will suffer in the process is extraordinary. You have to sit through hearings and all these kinds of things. It's all bureaucratic. Okay? Their, their parliament is not 
making all of these rules and passing this stuff. This is just the way the law is enforced. And I'm afraid that's, that's more and more likely to happen in the United States. We, we might be persecuted to death, but it's because we're going to be regulated to death. So being strangled with red, red tape, in other words. Strangled with red tape, yeah. No, that's interesting because I have a column up at LifeSite News uh, kind of analyzing a proposal that was put forward in the Atlantic in the past week by someone who said that even if the Equality Act and court packing are not a possibility, that by changing several regulations, Biden could make the RU486 abortion pill far more widely available and and essentially ensure uh, an incredible expansion and abortion access without actually changing any laws whatsoever and, you know, without confirming any judges do you th- do you think looking at at the executive branch that even if uh, he's denied the the opportunity to pass the equality act even if he's denied the opportunity to expand the supreme court that he could still deny accreditation to organizations like yours well the federal government doesn't necessarily get to decide what organizations are accredited uh, the the way that works for you know for a christian ministry like ours is different than the way it would work for say a Christian school or a Christian university. So yes, the, the the rule by which some ministries has its 501c3 nonprofit tax exempt status is a rule. It is not a law. So it could be changed. Yes. That administration could say organizations that do things that seem to us to be political because we talk about politics, among other things, you know, economics, philosophy, theology, sociology, psychology. If they seem to us to be political, and, and we're the ones writing the rules, then we can deny tax exemption to those kinds of organizations. There's very little recourse. The Internal Revenue Service is assumed by the Supreme Court, or at least has been in the past, to be have the presumption that its rules are presumed to be legal unless they're specifically designated by the legislature to be otherwise. So, you know, I don't know. It's possible the Supreme Court could weigh in on these things, Jonathan, but the, but the problem is you have so tens of thousands of bureaucrats making tens of thousands of rule changes by the time the Supreme Court gets to decide one case on one rule. So spell that out for the listeners um, who might be listening and saying, okay, changing rules, that doesn't sound too dramatic. You know, um, if we can get away with just some rule changes, that's not that big of a deal. What would happen to your ministry and, and, and thousands of other ministries like it if um, tax-exempt status was changed? Well, I, I'll give you, I'll give you se- uh, several different examples. M- ministries like ours, churches and Christian ministries, provide – an incredible resource base to the United States, providing services, educational, charitable, and so forth, that have an economic value somewhere around $2 trillion a year to the economy. And so in exchange for that benefit to the economy, the federal government through the Treasury Department, the Internal Revenue Service, has said that if you make donations to those ministries, then those are considered to be tax deductible. In other words, if you if you have an income of $20,000 a year and you give $2,000 to something, then you get to claim an income of $18,000 a year instead of $20,000. And, and therefore, you're going to save you know, at least hundreds of dollars in taxes. Federal government says, that's okay, because these ministries are doing things, and not all of them are Christian. Some of them, you know, there are Muslim ministries and Buddhist ones and so forth, and, and even secular ones. 
but these groups are doing things that the federal government would otherwise have to do. And so it's, we want to try to encourage them. So what's at stake if we were to lose our tax exemption? Our, my estimate is that our total donations would go down by about 30% because churches won't lose their tax exemptions. Somebody might say, wow, if I, I'm going to save hundreds of dollars on my donation if I give it to my church instead of some other group. So we figure our, our donations will drop by 30%, which means the number of young people that we can train will drop by 30%. The, you know, the number of young leaders we, we are able to help rise up drops by 30%. It's, it's a pretty dramatic drop. And other ministries are going to be in a lot worse shape, Jonathan. Of course, you know, at LifeSite, you, you're very familiar with what happened with Catholic Charities in Philadelphia, for instance. Mm-hmm. Because they, were, they said, we, we don't want to place adopted children with uh, families that aren't based on a man-woman lifelong marriage commitment and so the city said well then we're going to pull any benefits away from you and the catholic charities in that situation i I think was actually had to they actually got out of the adoption business so now there are children whose adoptions aren't well facilitated who aren't getting homes because the city decided we don't like your religious viewpoint and so we don't want to work with you anymore Final question would be, where can people find uh, your work and, and your written columns and things like that? Jonathan, the best way to, f- to stay in touch is just to go to summit.org. That's our website for Summit Ministries at summit.org. If you want the articles, there's a media tab. And just take a look at that media tab. But there's a lot of other stuff. If you, if you look at our resource library, you can type in virtually any topic and we'll help you think through it from a biblical worldview. Everything from movie and music reviews to specific issues that are we're facing in the culture, even to political issues. We really don't shy away from any of those kinds of things because we think that the Word of God speaks to every area of life. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Dr. Jeff Myers. Thank you so much for joining us. If you want to check out other podcast episodes, head over to LifeSiteNews.com and click on the podcast tab. You can subscribe to this episode and check out past episodes or subscribe for future episodes. Thank you so much for joining us this week, and we do hope you'll join us again next week.